in 1757, the year of our Lord, 1757. It was a while ago. I was there. <laughs> Been around a long time. But back in 1757, there was a place, Philadelphia, and Philo is where you get love, brotherly love, and Delphos is being a womb mate. So brotherly love, you know, so, so that's what Philadelphia means. But there was a guy there, Ben Franklin, and crime was going up. And so he, so he uh, approached the government, and they wouldn't do anything. So what he did was he dug a hole out in front of his yard and put up a pole and built the first streetlight. And then over several months, because the crime started to go down, streetlights started popping up all over the city. And so this is you. This is me. Let your light shine because it's going to spread across the city. It's going to spread across the nation. Don't be moved by what you don't be moved by what you see because why? Because we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. So but with so let's start today in John chapter John chapter one. <laughs> Hallelujah. And um oh it's just John chapter 1 is almost as good as John chapter 2 and chapter 3. Verse 12. How about verse 9? This is the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world didn't know him. He came unto his own, and they received him not. But as, but, but as many as received him, gave him the power to become what? The sons of God to them that even believe in his name. Now, you got to know that, but well, there's certain things we need to know. We need to know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were a part of the Old Testament. We need to know that the defining line between B.C. and A.D. was the cross of Christ. It's kind of like, it's kind of like I, have, I have a will, and I have four kids, and I have an executor for the will but they cannot receive anything until I die, right? But don't try to speed up the process. <laughs> but with Jesus, when you read Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and 10, it says he's the mediator of the new covenant. Not only did he die, but then he came back to watch over the covenant to make sure that it was performed properly, right? So it's kind of like I heard Creflo Dollar explain it this way. He said, um, the cross is the goal line in a football game. On one side, the end zone is the blood of Jesus and total redemption. On the other side is the law and, and, and nothing, nothing going good for you. It's not until after you go past the cross that you begin to receive the benefits. So the cross being the dividing line, when you, it's even interesting when you read your Bible, for example, when you read 1 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this gospel that we preach. But did you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John weren't even written then? What gospel was he preaching? Isaiah 53, Isaiah 54, when it says that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see if it would be so. They weren't looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They weren't even written. They were looking at the Old Covenant and getting revelation. See, because the new covenant is nothing more than a revelation of the old covenant. 
The new covenant is concealed in the old covenant, but it was there all the time. So that's why when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he'll say things like, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. You think he wants you to pluck your eyeball out? I mean, how do you, how do you reconcile those things unless you realize that those, book, those books were written under the law? And then it begins to make sense. It's kind of like, you know, things happen like, did you know this? Did you know this? Did you, are you ready for this? You cannot become a uh, rabbi until you're 30 years old. Jesus was 30. Your Talmudim, your disciples, are usually 20 years old and younger. That's why when Jesus would walk up to the disciples and say, follow me, they recognized a rabbi and they knew they were being called to discipleship. It's the only way it makes sense. And then, and then to take it further, when, when uh, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, go catch the fish, take the money out of the mouth, and pay your tax and my tax. Did you know that you had to be over 20 years old to pay the temple tax? And the reason why they only had to pay two of them, because Peter was the only one who was that age, which puts all the disciples in, in their teenage years, right? And so that's why you can't, well, you know, we, we understand that Zechariah and Haggai were teenagers when they came over to rebuild the temple, but we never ever think about, all we ever see is these old guys in bathrobes thinking that they're disciples. But again, it's just a religious thing that we have going on. When you realize that these former treaties of Theopolis, I bring on to you that everything that Jesus began to do and to teach, he's saying Jesus started it so that you could finish it. It's a new covenant established on better promises. So that's what you and I have been called to do. We've not been called to live in. And again, I'm not, you know, all scripture is God breathed. So please don't say I'm, I'm saying don't pay any attention to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just relegate it to the old covenant so you can get some understanding and, and realize that all of the letters that Paul wrote were written out of the old covenant. That's where they came from. Again, the Gospels, what we call the Gospels, weren't even written at the time. It's an eye-opener, isn't it? It should cause you to look at your Bible in a totally different way. It did. It did with me. Um, these things will change how you observe the Word of God and, and how you apply it to your life. So when he says things like, like um, he said in verse uh, 14, well, how about finish that, verse 12? But as many as received him, gave he the power to become sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. That's all they had. They didn't have anything else which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born again by the Spirit of God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. So, you know, you need to know that truth without grace is judgment, and grace without truth is license. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the truth if you ever go to a church that preaches the truth and the truth only, you're going to get some hard, uh, mean, nasty teaching. And then if you go to a church that has the grace side, you know, which the grace is there, but it doesn't have the structure, then you're going to have people, you know, live in uh, any old way they want to and say, well, yeah, but I'm covered by God's grace, right? 
So you really need the two wings of the plane are grace and truth. Grace is your relationship with God, and truth is the structure that he has you living by, right? So there's, there's structure in this. And again, it's like the goal line in a football game. If you're going to cross the line, you're going to get in the end zone. But if you don't, you're going to be over there in that other place. You need the grace. You need the truth. And you need to, he said, study to show yourself approved to work unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. Where's the division? At the cross. No, no cross, no redemption. So, it, no, but think about it. It changes the way that you look at your Bible when you know that. Then, then when you're reading in the Old Covenant, you realize, hey, there's revelation that I can get here if I relate it to what Paul wrote. Paul, Paul, got, the revel- That's, Paul got the revelation, and he wrote Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. He wrote letters that are re- revelation from the Old Testament. And really, as a church, we ought to be living in those letters and not wondering who the Antichrist is and all that other junk that people get caught up in, you know. Who's the Antichrist and when's he coming? He's not coming until you're leaving, so know that. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> so, you know, tr- truth without grace is just judgmental. Just judgmental, but grace without truth is a license, or it's really it's, it's directionless. You know, you're, you're saved, but, you know, you're just doing the best you can, and that's good enough. Well, the best you can is not good enough. If you mix the truth with it, it'll cause you to what? Grow. And again, it's like Ephesians 1.3. We've already been blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ, and he chose us from before the foundation of the world, but now we're going to walk this deal out, right? So it's like I'm being and I'm becoming at the same time. I, the, the thing I need to know is that I can never be more righteous than I am right now because he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we would be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So I'm as righteous as I'll ever be. I, he'll lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, but nothing that I can do, nothing that I can say will make me more righteous than I am right now. Amen to that? Okay. Okay. Full of grace and full of truth. Mm. And, and here's another thing. I can't get grace. It has to be given to me. I can't earn it. Receive the gift. The gift of grace, the gift of righteousness. It has to be. He made me, he made me righteous. He gave me the gift of his grace. Now, grace and peace can be multiplied, but only through the knowledge of him. The grace is already there. You're just learning more about it, right? And here's the thing that that really impresses me about all of this. Someone knows everything about me. No, this is a thrill to me. Somebody knows everything about me and loves me anyway. Hallelujah. That ought to just make your socks go up and down. No, 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 but you can't. It's just... you. The grace is the love of God. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 and um, see what happened back there. We already know what happened, but let's take another quick look here. Uh, let me see. Verse 2, the woman was, the woman said to the serpent. Now, now just stop there. You know that it, he didn't look like a snake like you see today. 
I don't know a woman in the world that would stop and have a conversation with a snake. But the, my Bible tells me that he was dazzling and beautiful before he became what he looks like now, right? And really, the snake is his modus operandum. It's the way that he operates. He, he slithers around, reaches up and bites, and then disappears again. That's how he operates. And he, he can't see you. His vision is not good, but he keeps his tongue coming out so that he can smell you. And when he smells a stink, he's attracted to it. So if you have a stinky attitude, get rid of your attitude. No, no, because he's attracted. Matter of fact, he's called the Lord of the Flies. But really what that means is the Lord of the Dunghill, where the poop is, the flies gather, and that's him. So if your life stinks, if you allow bitterness to get into your life, then he can smell that and he'll come after you. That's why in Peter uh, 5 and verse, uh, verse 5 or 6, he said, the devil as a roaring lion goes about seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour you if you've got a, you've got a proper attitude. Amen? You can't, you can't do that. Blessed are the pe- peacemakers, not the troublemakers. Amen? Okay. He said, the woman said to the serpent, we can eat anything in the trees, in the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest he die. Well, we know he didn't say anything about touching it. That's something that she added to, the, added to herself. And then the serpent said unto her, you'll not surely die, for God knows the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened, you shall know, you'll be just like God's knowing good and evil. Well, they were already like God, they were created in the image and the likeness of God, and he would walk with them in the cool of the day. Amen. But when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and did eat it and turned to her husband, who was right there the whole time, and gave it to him and he ate it. It wasn't like he was off somewhere else in the garden. He was standing right there and he, he had responsibility to be the head of the house and he forfeited that and gave it to Satan. The eyes of them both were opened. They knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves. You know, let me say this, fig leaves won't cover your fear. And the reason why they used fig leaves is because it wasn't an apple that he ate. They were at, it was a fig tree. Why would you say that? Because when you, if I was sitting up here and I found myself naked, I would cover myself with that curtain. You'd grab the first thing that you saw because all of a sudden you're exposed. See, but when sin separated the grace from the truth, without grace, without grace, if there's just truth, you're filled with shame and you're filled with guilt. And this is exactly what happened to them. They were, they were filled, filled with guilt, filled with insecurity. They tried to cover themselves over. How many of you know that doesn't work? No, because God... God is looking for the real you, not the you that you'd hope to be, not the you that you were. He wants to, he loves you, you, not some, not some other version of you, but you. Amen. Well, but let's, let's go to John chapter um, eight. Just want to read one more verse in John chapter one. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He came to to join the grace 
and the truth back together again. What's it look like? I was hoping you'd ask. John chapter 8. A familiar story, but refresh yourself with it today. And again, grace is relational and truth is directional. So keep that in mind when you're reading this. Jesus went up onto the Mount of Olives early in the morning, and he came again into the temple where he went to teach. And the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. So we know, first of all, she's an adulteress, okay? She was taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law said that she should be stoned. But what are you going to say? In other words, you're going to obey the law of Moses. You're going to obey the, the laws of the Romans who forbid you to stone people. What are you going to do? This they did in verse 6 to tempt him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and rode on the ground as though he heard them not. Now, just we'll stop there for a second and go to Jeremiah 17 because you need to know what he wrote in the dirt. 1713. Jeremiah 1713. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake you shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the foundation of the living waters. So when he started and wrote began to write their names in the dirt, they knew exactly what he meant. What they meant, what he meant was you're judging her and you're no different. And how many of you know that's the way we are? <laughs> They'd like to judge others, but we're no different. Come on. <laughs> no, but there's a great lesson in that. Judge not lest ye be judged. So so we can so I'm back in John eight verse six. They said this tempting him that they might accuse him, and Jesus stooped down and wrote his finger on the with his finger on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up his, himself and said, I love this, he that's without sin among you. <laughs> He's without sin among you. Let him cast the first stone at her. And then he stooped down again and wrote Jeremiah seventeen, thirteen. When they heard it being convicted by their own, when they heard it being convicted by their own conscience, they went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus said, had lifted himself up and saw no one but a woman. He said, woman, where are, where are your accusers as no man condemned you? Now, again, she was caught in adultery. The church needs to read some, receive some correction in things like this. She was caught in adultery, but look what he said. He said, has no man condemned you? She said, no, no one really had the right to condemn me. <laughs> no man, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you, condemn you. That's the grace. And then the next verse is the truth. Go and sin no more. In other words, don't use the grace as an excuse to keep living a sloppy lifestyle, right? Make some adjustments, make some changes. Over in John chapter 4, just back a couple pages, another story that we all know. Uh, John 4 and verse 6, it says, 
Jacob's well was there. Jesus, being weary from the journey, sat down on the well. It was high noon. Now, um, he, had, he, he said to the disciples, I've got to go to Samaria. I've got to go where the, where, the, uh, where the half-breeds live, if you will, where the mixed multitude live, if you will, the, the ones that are not true Jews live. He said, I must needs go to Samaria. So it was, when he got to the well, it was high noon, the hottest time if you've been in Israel or anywhere in a desert setting, high noon is not a good time to be walking around. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Well, the first thing that you need to know about that is you didn't draw the water at noon. You draw it in the morning or in the evening. So if she's there at noon, it's obviously it's obvious that she's an outcast in her society. So the woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said, uh, Give me to drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy Wendy's burgers and fries. Then said the woman to Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask to drink of me, which I'm a woman, I'm, I'm a Samaritan? Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Don't forget that. <laughs> because Jesus is a mixed breed. He's all God, all man. So are you. <laughs> Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says unto you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you I am, I am living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, you don't even have anything to draw with, and the well is deep. How are you going to get that water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank thereof of himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be unto him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, please give me this water that I thirst not and, and, I, and that I can't draw. Jesus said, Go and I love this. Go and tell your husband to come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, you've well said, I have no husband, because you've had five husbands. <laughs> yeah, but see, I wish people could learn from this. What you're really looking for is the presence of God. And if you're unhappy single, I got news for you. I've counseled for years. I don't counsel anymore. Thank you, Lord. But I've counseled for years. And when, when if you're unhappy single, it's just a matter of time then that person won't be able to satisfy you either. And now you're going to be unhappy married. Happiness is, happiness is something from within that you can draw out. And it's not based on somebody else's performance. She said, you've had, he said, you've had five husbands, and, and now you're living common law with the sixth. But what he was really saying was, the one that you were looking for, the real husband that you were looking for, is right here, right now, right in front of you. This is the one that you really need. Harry didn't do it. Fred didn't do it. Bill didn't do it. George didn't do it. You know, how many more are you going to try? There was a song looking for love in all the wrong places. That sounds like many in the church. A woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You say in Jerusalem is the place that men ought to worship. Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain or yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. You don't even know what you worship. We know what we worship for salvation of the Jews, but the hour comes 
and now is when true worshipers shall worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth. In other words, what is the truth? The truth is I'm open before you. The truth is I don't sit up here and try to be some hokey pokey fancy preacher that's superior to everybody else. We are the same. I'm simply the mouthpiece of the church, right? But I'm no better than you. I'm not above you somewhere, but neither are you above me somewhere. In spirit and in truth, worshiping in spirit and in truth. Why? Because we're going to break the guilt barrier. We're going to have a relationship, and it's going to be based on honesty, spirit and truth, based on honesty. I'm not going to come in here and pretend I'm somebody else to just to fool somebody. I am who I am, and, and, and I'm okay with that now. Don't have to hide. Relationship in honesty, spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. So what I've found in this study, that, that what I've found so far is um, I, I understand grace and truth, but I think it was Rob Els was teaching one Thursday night, and he started talking about time. I said, I said, that is the missing ingredient, time. Time was invented so that, you could, so that you could grow up, so that you could learn the things of God and grow. And so grace and truth are okay, but you've got to have the time. It's like a child, you know, they're, they're complete, but you don't give them the keys to the car. They've got to mature. And so you've got the grace and you've got the truth, but then you need to give yourself and give others the time to grow. And not everybody grows at the same speed. You know, so amen to that. Amen. amen even if, <laughs> But there's a good example. Of that. Let's, let's go to Luke chapter 13. Are you there? I'm sitting down today because I overdid it yesterday. You're wondering if I'm recovering? Yes. Problem is, when I start to feel real good, I just and then, <laughs> Hallelujah! No, because the process is slow. Things seem to take so long. Which, by the way, now that I'm on that, let me give a plug for the medical system. I've been dealing with the medical people uh, every week since the first of March. And they've been nothing but a blessing to me. Even when COVID hit and we were home, sick, one day you think you're going to die, and the next day you're hoping you're going to. That's COVID, right? <laughs> but, but here was the thing that I noticed. We needed a therm thermometer. They couriered one over to us. The next day we needed a, an oxygen sensor. They couriered one over to us. They called us and said, can we get you any groceries? Can we do anything for you? Now, I'm not saying the system is perfect. I know that the masks don't work. I understand that the vaccines are, are skeptical, you know, but I'm not, I'm not, I know that they are doing the very best they can with what they have. And I know that the threat is real because 30 people in this church came down with it. So I'm not, you know, before I dismissed it, but I don't dismiss it anymore. It's, it's life-threatening. And maybe these things that they're doing uh, don't aren't a cure, but the the best that they have right now, the, and I understand that they're trying to protect the medical system because it's so fragile. It's like 
like, you know, like we don't want to lose our health care and all that kind of stuff. And these people are not your enemy. They are your friends. I never met one of them that didn't care, that didn't re reschedule appointments for me when I needed them and all that kind of stuff. Call me to make sure I'm okay at home. And, you know, Gaylene, they were been bringing her free groceries for weeks. Like, and so how can you? Hallelujah. <laughs> I'd like to give some people a kick in the pants. That's okay. It's, it's just my flesh talking. Verse 6 of chapter 13. He also spoke this parable unto them. A certain man had a fig tree plant. But I know you know more than the pastor. That's okay. He that spoke also this parable unto a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness. He was coming to look for fruit, but he found none. Then he said unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I've come seeking fruit on the fig tree. Cut it down. Why does it even cumber the ground? See, when we fail, when we become fearful, when we become anxious, we want to cut ourselves down. Just cut that down. Cut that down. You know. But look what he says here in the next verse. He said, answer and said unto him, let it alone, and I'll dig around it. I'm going to dig around it with grace and truth, and I, I want you to give it some more time. Because if if... Grace, grace works this way. I just excuse myself for everything. And truth it works this way. I judge myself for anything, everything. But when I put grace and truth together, plus time, I realize that I'm still, I'm still growing. I'm still changing, and so are you. And because I've got that grace and that truth and the time element in it, I can give you the time that you need also. Amen. Let it alone this year, and I'll dig around it. And if it bears fruit, okay. And if it doesn't, I'll cut it down. Okay. With that in mind, now we're talking about time now. He just gave it some more time to grow. Uh, Mark chapter um, 4, verse 35. In the same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, let's pass over to the other side. When he had sent away the multitude, then he took, even as they were in a ship, there were also other little ships and you need to know that you're not ever alone. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, and it was now full. He said he sat in the hinder part of the ship asleep, said, Master, they woke him up and said, Master, don't you care that we perish? See, he was asleep in the word, and they were asleep to the word. <laughs> And life and death are in the power of the tongue, not in the power of the storm. So so here they are, they're passing over to the other side, but hell was in the middle of it all. And that's why, like Benjamin Franklin said, you're going to light a lamp and put it in your house, and eventually other people are going to see the light, and, the, and it's going to... Because if you think that all of this is the end, this we haven't seen what God's about to do. We haven't seen all of that. But what's happened so far has caused such division and strife in the church. It's amazing to me that we all fell for it. I'll tell you, let's go. Hallelujah. Am I picking? Yes, right at you. Okay, Luke chapter 22. 
I'm either a pastor or a pester. Right now I'm being a pester to some. That's okay. I don't apologize for sitting in my office and doing what God told me to do, not what you told me to do. Are you sure it was God? Are you sure it wasn't? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. Let's go to Luke 22, verse 31. Now everything is complete in heaven, but on earth there's the law of process. Just as in the natural world, a child grows into an adult. This is what happens. Grace plus truth plus time. And here, after, even after you've failed, read verse 31. The Lord said unto Simon, now Simon means flaky. He wasn't calling him Peter then. He was saying, hey, flake. Behold, <laughs> behold, Satan has desired to sift you. And when you read this in the Greek, it says, sift all of you, <laughs> that we, he may sift you like wheat. You need to read the process of how they sift wheat too. It doesn't feel good. You know, I said, God, you know, what Paul the Apostle said, he was cast down, but not forsaken and thrown down, not destroyed, all those things that he said. I said, God, I know exactly what he means now. I have been beaten with rods. I've been shipwrecked. I've been hit in the head and left for dead, laying in the hospital on a bed. I went through all that, but I said, the difference between me and Paul is he stood up and said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He stood up and he said, Hey, Silas, I feel a song coming on at midnight. What are you going to do? I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm not going to complain about my wounds and my brokenness. I'm going to praise the Lord. Somebody asked me the other day, said, what's your spin on this COVID stuff? I said, I'll tell you what it is. My Bible tells me in Acts chapter 27, it's my job to keep everybody on the boat. And then in chapter 28 and verse 5, when the snake bites me, I'm going to shake it off into the fire. No deadly thing will harm me. You know, Dave Hammond went and got the vaccine. He prayed grace over it from Timothy. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You bless my food and my water and take sickness from the midst of me. And if you don't want to get vaccinated, I'm not trying to talk you into that either. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying don't cause strife where there is strife. There's confusion in every other evil work. Be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Amen. So he's, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fails not. And when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. In other words, I'm giving you the time for God's grace and truth to work on you. But see, Look at verse 33. He was self-reliant. Come on, you don't want to be self-reliant. He said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Until you're sifted like wheat, you can't even stand because you're self-reliant. He said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day before you've denied me three times. He said, Lord. He said unto them, when I sent you without a purse and a scrip and shoes, did you lack anything? They said, no, nothing. Then he said unto them, but now take your purse, take your money, and, and if you haven't got sword, go get one and, and carry it with you. 
Um, I don't want to read the rest of this. But see, with, with, with Simon, he didn't call him Peter at the time. Peter means rock or rocky. He called him Simon. But when, when your real self is hiding, you project this other self, the false self. That false self will take over if you don't let the real self be seen. Amen. Anyway, um, where can I pick it up here? How about verse 59? In about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying, of a truth, this fellow was a Galilean. Peter said, I, I don't even know you. And uh, he, he said, I don't even know Jesus. And immediately the cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter, remembering the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crows, I'll deny you three times. Peter went out, unveiled heart, look, he went out and wept bitterly. Now that you are out of the way, Peter, now that you're broken, Peter, you can stand. Now that you've been busted. You can stand. Colossians chapter 3 says this, when you're risen with Christ, you seek those things that are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. You set your intelligence, your mind on the things that are above and not the things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, you'll appear with him in the glory. So mortify your members upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, which is idolatry. For the which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in which you also walk, but now put off all of these also. Anger, wrath, malice, filthy communication out of your mouth, not lying to one another, putting off the old man with his deeds, and put on the new man that's renewed in the knowledge of the image of him that created you, there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Vows of mercy, kindness. Listen, mercy and kindness, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Even as Christ forgave you, you forgive others. You don't judge others, you forgive the others. Right? Hallelujah. Forgive those, forgiving and forbearing one another, even as Christ forgave you, forgive. And above all, you put on love, which is the bond of perfection. We call it in one body and we're thankful. We're thankful. We're grateful. We're thankful people. We're grateful people. We speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns. We speak to ourselves, listen, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making melody in our hearts, not grumbling in our hearts, making melody in our hearts unto the Lord. And whatever we do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, giving thanks to God the Father by him. Strife, I command you to leave this church in the name of Jesus. Confusion, I command you to leave this church in the name of Jesus. You'll not rule here. You'll not reign here in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. 
For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.